0: Well, good morning and welcome to this exclusive online-only sermon this morning. It is my joy to bring to you a message as we look forward to Easter. I want to look back at the book of Acts. Whether you're joining us for the first time, or you've been with us for several weeks. Uh, we have been in a series in the book of Acts. And as we're in the middle of Lent, uh, today is the third Sunday in Lent. And traditionally, there's about 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And believe it or not, we are 28 days away from Easter Sunday. I've titled my message this Waiting Between God's Promise and his fulfillment. You see, we have this in common with the apostle Paul, whose life I want to look at in a big picture perspective in the book of Acts this morning. We have this in common. We've both lived post-Easter lives and we're both waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Paul's life illuminates what we can expect. And so this morning, I'm just want to dive into the text with you. We're going to look All the way back in chapter 1, starting with verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open those up, and let's go with those right now. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gifts my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him this question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I want to pause there just for a second. There were 40 days between Jesus's death, resurrection, and then his ascension. And now he is with his disciples, and they ask a really big question here. They ask a question because it does two things. Number one, it presumes that all is not right. Think about it for a second. They're with the resurrected Jesus, and they're still asking about something they have not yet received. They wanted to see the kingdom restored to Israel. It also is very presumptuous because in the question, they are assuming that Jesus will do something about the coming kingdom but not yet. So let's continue on with chapter 1 verse 7. He said this to them, "It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So a couple things I want to point out that's going on right here that is so fascinating. Jesus is explicit. That is not for us to know when these things will happen. But in that, we also have assurance assurance that it will happen. We know that he's coming back because the heavenly angelic beings who stood there dressed in white said as much, he will come back the same way that you saw him go. So I hate to give this to you too early, but a little bit of an Easter spoiler. (laughs) Jesus is risen. He's already risen. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And now we're living in this post-Easter life. And really, that's the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the early disciples of Jesus Christ after Easter and how the church spread and grew. And they as well were in a place of waiting As we are. Now, when it comes to waiting, I confession time, I don't like to wait. Some of the places in my life that I despise waiting the most, uh, I have a list here. One of the big ones is in line at the store. You know, I get to the store, whether it be Walmart, you know, Menard, some of these stores that, that I shop at, and I'm like, okay. I'm evaluating as I walk in, like, who is standing in what line? How many items do they have? I just don't want to wait in the line. Uh, oh, yeah, that person has way too many items to be in the self-checkout line. I'm going to this line. Why doesn't somebody just come and go and check people out here? And, and I, waiting in line has always been, been an issue for me. I'm super impatient when it comes to that. The other thing that's recently become worse has been waiting for packages that I order from Amazon Prime. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, because if you live, and I know this because my family, I've got family in the Twin Cities, they can order an Amazon Prime, and somebody in a minivan drives up to their house and drops it off the very same day. Where up here in Alexandria, and for those of you who live further out, and I don't know, I know some of you are are watching from other countries, I don't know what the delivery times are, but in rural areas, it can take five days for the two-day delivery to come to you. I hate waiting for things. Other areas of waiting, airport security, definitely not my favorite. I I might get in trouble for this one. I'm hoping my wife and my kids aren't watching this online. Uh, Waiting for your spouse and kids to get ready to go someplace. (laughs) It's uncanny. I'll jingle the keys and say, hey, I'm getting in the car. And it's like that moment is when it dawns on them. It's time to start getting ready. And then I go outside and I'm waiting for them and waiting and waiting. And I just, I'm not patient. Also I've had to wait for the release of a book or a show that I'm really anticipating or or that vacation. You know it's springtime we're excited about maybe that spring break vacation we're going on. Waiting is hard. Our culture has sold us on the value of not waiting for things. Has it not? We have built in so many different conveniences into our daily lives where it circumvents the process of waiting. So we've really become conditioned to get past that every single time. But if God valued not waiting, think about this for a second. If God valued not waiting, don't you think he would have shown up already? Do you not think Jesus would have risen from the grave, and then immediately done something about that. You see, there is value in the waiting. Paul's life in the book of Acts really helps us to understand what life looks like for us as we wait for Jesus to come back again. And so there are a few principles from Paul's life that I want to unpack, principles that speak to what we can expect in this season of waiting in our lives. You see, God doesn't waste time between Easter and Christ's return. I really believe that. And as we wait, let's not lose heart about that, but let's really look for lessons that we can learn from God's word that we can apply in the midst of this season that we are in. It's valuable to God, and so it should be valuable to us. Things happen to us and through us during this season of waiting. And God's timing, God's timing is always good. It's always good, even if it's not when I want it to be. If I never waited, and I've asked myself this question, even as I prepared this message, if I never waited, what would I be like? What kind of character would have been developed in me? What kind of lessons would I have missed out on? What would my own life look like if I've never waited? So let's look at three expectations that really you can count on during this season of life between Easter and Christ's second coming. Expectation number one is this. The Lord can and does redirect our life. The Lord can and does redirect our life. While we wait for Jesus, it's safe to expect that he is going to interject himself into our lives. Uh, Think about it. Each of us in, in this church family have a story. We have a story where either Christ sent somebody into our lives to invite us into a relationship with him, or we grew up in a Christian home where God's grace was given to our parents to raise us in the care and nurture of the church. There's just different areas in our lives where we can identify God's stepping into our life to redirect us away from sin and more towards him. How he does it, though, varies. It varies from person to person. So I want you to think of Paul for a second. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, and and this won't be something you need to look up. I'm just going to give you an illustration here. But in Acts chapter 9, we see Paul on the road to Damascus. And here's what happens. He is a zealous man who is articulate in his mission. He is efficient in what he's doing and persecuting those who are following the way and promoting Judaism. That Paul is laser focused on what he's doing at the moment. He's headed down the road to Damascus and Jesus shows up in his life. He blinds Paul in this moment, that he gets blinded from this experience, this encounter with Christ, and for three days, and I often wonder what it was like for Paul to wait in this moment, but for three days, Paul waited. He showed up in a town on a street called Straight Street at the home of Judas, and he waited for Ananias, whom God sent to him, to give him a few words. And here's what Ananias was told by God this man, referring to Saul, to Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God sends Jesus to interject into Paul's life and to completely redirect the course of his life. The beautiful thing in this is all the ways that that Paul was gifted and the way that he spoke and reasoned and thought and taught and his zeal for, for the mission that he had, all of those didn't change. They just moved from a previous mission to God's mission in a really beautiful way. And if you're familiar at all with the, the meaning of the names, Saul was his name prior to this redirect, and the the name Saul, it was the first name of the first king of Israel. It's a strong name, meaning great. When he renames to Paul, the name Paul means little, humble. So even in his naming, his identity, he is humbled and is following Christ in a new and powerful way. The Christian life really is full of redirects, that even after we've made Christ our Lord and King, there's, there's tons of moments where God says, hey, I want to close this door and I want to open this door. Even in Paul's life after this road to Damascus, um, in, in Acts chapter 16, I'm thinking of a moment when Paul is wanting to go and preach in a particular location in Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, stop, you're not going there, you're going over here. And then we see Paul in another instance in chapter 20, where he feels compelled by the spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though he knows it's going to be difficult. And the Christian life is filled with these moments where you and I see God show up and really it hinges on the sensitivity that we have to the direction of God in our lives. And that's Example A from Paul's life, while we live between Easter and Jesus' return, we can and should expect God's direction in our lives. And so my encouragement to you is while you're waiting, look for that. Look to see where God is working, where he's moving, and how he's inviting you into that process with him. That is the first expectation that you can count on while you're waiting. Jeremiah 10, chapter 10, verse 23 says it this way, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not his own. No one who walks directs his own steps. You see, the prophet Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern two kingdoms in Judah, and that particular group of individuals was not walking according to God. And Jeremiah pleaded with them for repentance, pleaded with them to return to God. And eventually Babylon came in and took them into exile. But the whole point of that verse and that story that I just shared with you is this, that ultimately we can make our own choices, but God is ultimately in control. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ ought to be sensitive to him so that we can follow and sense the redirects as they come into our lives. While we wait on God's direction, he can and does guide us. Here is the second expectation that you can count on while you're waiting, and it's this. Waiting is not without suffering. Waiting is not without suffering. So here's what suffering is. Suffering is undergoing some kind of pain. It's undergoing some kind of hardship or difficulty or distress. Uh, And truly, that is the human experience. (laughs) If you live in Minnesota You simply just suffer because the weather is very unpredictable and oftentimes depressing, especially this time of year. I want it to be warm, and I want to see the sun more, and yet the snow continues to fall. And so there is an element of suffering in that. But we suffer for all kinds of reasons. We suffer because of health reasons. We suffer due to loss of a loved one or a family member. We suffer because of things that happen at work or dynamics in a family and in relationships. There's all kinds of reasons that we suffer. And Paul's life is a great example to us of what does it look like to actually suffer while you're waiting. Because Paul went through a lot. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 23, it says this. The Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. (laughs) That is not a very popular message to preach. (laughs) As a pastor, to stand up here and tell you prophetically, guess what? Jesus suffered. Paul, who was following Jesus, suffered. And oh, by the way, following Jesus will lead to suffering. That's not exactly something that people want to hear. It's not your great feel good message, but it's the truth and i for one would be more concerned about being precise than i would about being popular because i fear god and i believe that what his word says is true and paul's example i believe is also what we experience in our lives as well here are a couple of ways that paul experienced suffering and again these aren't things that are going to be specific to us but these were specific to paul as he followed christ's mission here are some of the things that happened to him he was kidnapped he was beaten. He was threatened. He was arrested numerous times. He was accused in lawsuits. He was interrogated. He was ridiculed. He was ignored. He was shipwrecked. And he was even snake bitten. Paul experienced all kinds of suffering as God redirected his life to a new mission. And Paul, living that mission out, experienced many, many things. If our concern, as Christians, is to live a comfortable life, to live a suffering free life, we're going to be very disappointed because between Easter and whatever is to come in the future when Christ returns, there is going to be discomfort. There's going to be discomfort. We live in a broken world where there is a lot of disappointments that we experience. And so following Jesus is going to bring about some of these things in our lives the truth is that we will suffer either for Jesus or not for Jesus. The big question that Peter in the book of 1 Peter really brings up is, will you suffer in shame or not shame? Here's a little nuance into this, and we can read through 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. And it says this, If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you are blessed. You will be blessed. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, for stealing, for making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So here's really what Peter's saying If you and I suffer for poor decision making, (laughs) that's on us. And oh, by the way, we've all been there where we've made a bad decision and we've suffered the consequence of that. And next week, I'm actually going to talk as we start our Easter series. This is just an appetizer this week. But next week, as we get into the final words of Jesus, we'll look at how we have peace in the midst of that suffering. But suffering specifically for being a follower of Christ is a shame-free and peaceful way to live. It just is. That when we're on mission, And we do experience suffering, that that is something we can have joy in, not always happiness, but we can have joy in knowing that we are following the footsteps of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to do it. In fact, a little side note on Lent. Uh, A lot of people ask me this question, well, Pastor Dave, why, why do people fast during Lent? Well, one of the reasons that fasting during Lent is popular and really was popular from the very beginning that someone came up with the idea is that in fasting from something, you are causing some suffering right? as a result of leaning into and away from, leaning into Christ and his mission and away from personal and earthly desires. And that is the mission of God. It's that as we pursue Christ, we let the rest of our lives go and we lean into the mission. And sometimes that means giving up things. Sometimes that means things happening to us that do cause hardship or distress or pain. But in the midst of that, we give glory to God's name and we praise him for it. We don't seek out suffering uh, as people who just enjoy it because it's not always enjoyable. But we seek out doing the will and work of God. And in the midst of that, as Jesus' life exemplified and Paul's life exemplified, suffering is a characteristic on the landscape of pursuing Christ. That brings us to the third expectation of waiting between Easter and Jesus' second coming. And here it is Trials are tough and temporary. Trials are tough and temporary. You see, the longer I'm alive, <laughs> I get this. And if you're older than me, you understand this. If you're younger than me, you're going to learn that things that happen to you in life are not permanent right? That you go to bed at night and when you wake up in the morning, things seem different than they were the night before. Paul's early trials, I'm convinced of, gave him perspective for the later trials. And I use that word trial uh, in two different ways. Paul experienced being on trial in front of a judge in a few different instances, and we'll talk about one of those in a minute. But he also went through the trials of just following Christ, of just pursuing and doing the work of God, that he experienced hardships and things that he went through. Last week, we looked at Paul on actual trial in front of Felix. And this is a fascinating scenario. So Paul, after his third missionary journey, he ends up in Jerusalem. He felt constrained to go there. He knew because the Holy Spirit told him in Acts chapter 24, or I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 20, the Holy Spirit said, you're going to experience suffering there. You're going to have something that happens to you in Jerusalem. And Paul knew it, and he was headed there. Well, he gets to Jerusalem. He's arrested. He's almost beaten. He then appeals to his Roman citizenship, and then they keep him from being beaten, and they hold him onto trial in front of Felix. And that's where this gets really fascinating. Felix essentially says, I'm not going to make a decision. In fact, in Acts chapter 24, 27, it says this, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. He left Paul in prison. Do you see what happened here? Paul went on trial and then the judge decided not to make a decision. And he sat there for two years, two years in prison, waiting for the next person to come and then make a decision on what to do moving forward. And Paul was just continually on trial. He was continually going through trials and he was in really a lot of difficult situations. And really, this is the characteristic of our lives that as followers of Christ, we go through trials all the time and they're very tough. They're very difficult, and they come with different seasons in our lives, but they're also temporary. One of the beautiful things that Paul did while he was actually in prison waiting for trial is he wrote some letters, and they're called the prison letters. One of them you're very familiar with, and that's the book of Philippians. And I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 1 the words of Paul as he was actually on trial and waiting for some kind of sentencing. And so here we have Philippians chapter 1 starting with verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me living mean for to me living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be far better for me. And he goes on to talk about him wanting to be present to the people that he's writing this letter to, because it would be better for them if he was present with them. And you see, we live between this tension, don't we? This already, we we live in an Easter reality that, that Jesus has conquered death. But we also live in this not yet, that he hasn't fully resolved all that he said he will someday. And we believe that he will do just as he promised. But right now we live in the already, but not yet. And it's painful and it's tense. And there are times in our lives where we feel this tension that Paul speaks of, that, oh, it would be far better for me to be with Christ. But then I feel this other tension that it would be also really good for me to be with people who need me, to do the work of Christ in their lives, because we're the body of Christ. God meant us for each other to build, to encourage, to disciple, to develop, and to be in that relationship. So what I want to encourage you with as I wrap this up is is a couple of things. First of all, know and be acknowledging that you are in a season of waiting that there are times when we're going to have trials, that we're going to have suffering, but God's also interjecting into our life through Christ, that he's guiding and directing us. We can expect all those things. And I say this a lot to people who are going through a difficult time as a reminder of hope. And that's this, now is not forever. Now is not forever. You see, Jesus proved that when he died on the cross and rose again. And he also proved that feelings are not final, that feelings are not final, that we have these moments of intense anguish and agony, just like our savior did the night before he was crucified, when he cried out to the father in the garden, and he had this despair and this discouragement, but he knew that joy comes with the morning, that after he died and rose again, he brought something to humanity, a way to be redeemed that we have. And the question is, do we have that perspective? Do we have the perspective that now is not forever? That when we go through those times of suffering and trial and expectations that we have that are broken, are we thinking this way? Um, I want to challenge you with this. If we live for Christ while we wait for God, we will always look forward with confidence. If we live for Christ while we wait for God, we will always Look forward with confidence. So that's my challenge to you is that as you start thinking about this season ahead, and we obviously have Easter coming, and we have a lot of things going on, and yes, spring will come, the snow will melt, things will continue to move on. We live in this tension of already, but not yet, and be confident that the God who killed death by sending his son to die on a cross and rose again that that same God will bring resolution someday. And in the midst of that, he's present with us. And if we have that perspective, it does help us to move forward one day at a time. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for all those who are in our church family. God, whether they are watching online, whether they uh, will be present with us uh, at a service or uh, a mixture of both, God, that you've blessed us with technology to be able to reach, to encourage, to connect with people both far and wide. And we praise you, Lord, for your good word, God, the truth of the gospel message, that we might look at this world, this earth, this time in light of that message, that we might see ourselves, our current situations, not as permanent, but as temporary times of waiting with the knowledge that you are to come, Jesus. So I pray your encouragement and your blessing on all those who will be watching this online service. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So my challenge, my blessing to you as you go from this day is this, be encouraged that Jesus truly does give us perspective, that from Easter, we look back, that we look forward to know that he is going to give us all that we need to get through these seasons of trial. So go and be blessed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in his grace and peace. Have a great day.